Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. It's not uncommon for all of us to experience at some time, or many times, a failure of faith. After we have asked God for forgiveness, we often begin to see how the Lord is using our failure to grow our faith. This happened to Abraham in Genesis chapter 13. He failed in what we might call the seen world. Yet God used his failure to open his eyes to the unseen world, and in particular, the unseen promises of God. While these painful times are part of life, Abraham helps us to see what the Lord is doing. Here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, Seeing the Future with the Eyes of Faith. We have been in a series called Venturing into the Unknown, taking a look back about 4,000 or so more years ago, 4,000 or more years ago at the life of Abraham. Uh, Father Abraham, or Abram as he's known at, at this point in time in the book of Genesis, is considered to be a giant of our faith. But we saw that Abraham had a faith failure. And he's learning a valuable lesson, one that we all need to learn. And that's this, that we need to hold on less tightly to what we see and more tightly to what we don't see. Because there is more in the unseen world of God than there is in the seen world before our eyes. Abraham is learning something that would be written about 2,000 years later in the New Testament in 1 Peter that we saw when we studied it that, that followers of Jesus, in his case a follower of Yahweh, Jesus hadn't been born yet, are pilgrims. If you're a follower of Jesus, first off, if you're not, we're glad that you're here today, but if you are a follower of Jesus, we are pilgrims. We are not settlers. What's, what's the difference? Pilgrims are people who are on their way home. Settlers are people who are home. And we are, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we are pilgrims in the sense that we are passing through this life on our way home, on our way to another life. Now that sounds really good on the one hand, but this life is full of difficulties, it's full of disappointments, it's full of fear, it's full of bad counsel from the world and even from some of our friends. It's full of sinful desires that we can't always seem to get a handle of. And it's very easy in all of those situations to take our eyes off the promises of God. And one of the things about the promises of God, we've seen this in Abraham's life. He goes, God says, hey, go to a land I'm going to show you. That's like not very detailed, is it? And a lot of times God's promises are, don't have a lot of details. A lot of times they're not very clear but that's what faith is. God reveals himself to us in a number of different ways, primarily through the word of God, and we are to respond to his word. We are to respond to his promises with faith and trust. Again, God told Abraham to move far away to an unknown land that, that God would give him. And when he got there, it was, we know it as the promised land. It was the, it was the land of Canaan. And we saw last week, we don't know how long they were there for. They were living in tents, so they were still pilgrims living in tents. They weren't settlers. The Canaanites were settled in there. And so it was, we don't know how long it was until a trial came. What was that trial? There was a famine in the land. 
We were talking about trials that God allows into our lives or sometimes maybe even brings them into our lives uh, to test our faith. And one of the reasons we need to be aware of trials and what they do is that often lurking right behind our trial is a temptation. There will be a temptation to to do your own thing, to help God out. That's sort of what Abraham did. He he decided, well, I'm going to go down to Egypt. And then when he went down to Egypt, he told all the people that he met there that were the servants of Pharaoh, the, the king, that his beautiful wife, Sarah, was his sister thinking, well, they won't kill me and then take my beautiful wife to the, to the king's harem. They'll just treat me good uh, for my sister's sake. So they didn't kill him, but Pharaoh did take Sarah or Sarai. Her name is at this point. And then plagues came to Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh was somehow figured out what was going on. And so the pagan king comes to Father Abraham... <laughs> The pagan king comes to really the the father of our our faith, you might say, and told him to leave Egypt because of Abraham's sin. And what seemed to happen was that Abraham's sin just crashed in on him. Now, I know a lot of people don't like to be told that they're sinners today. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've come to accept it. That's part of becoming a follower of Jesus But a lot of people will admit that sometimes some of the stuff that they do crashes in upon them. And that's what happened to Abraham. And let's go back to the beginning of the chapter so we can read what happened next, verses 1 through 4. Then Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with them to the south. Abraham, or Abram, was very rich. That's very important. Let's keep that in the back of our mind. In livestock, in silver, and in gold. So Abram had made money where he originally lived, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then he moved to Haran. It seems like he made money there too. And he was apparently a good businessman. And then Pharaoh, to get him to leave, gave him a bunch of wealth and also probably thinking he was taking his sister from him. Uh, Verse 3 says, And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So he's back in the promised land, went back to the beginning. We talked about that where he went back to the place of worship after he had failed. True followers of the Lord go back to him. They don't run from him. To the, verse 4, to the place of the altar, the altar of sacrifice, which he had made there at the first And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. So how do you think that conversation went down? There he is at the altar. There he is calling upon the name of the Lord. Do you think he's saying like, hey, it's good to be home, God? Or do you think he's saying, I'm really sorry. I really blew it. You brought me here. I trusted you with the big thing to move to the promised land, to move to Canaan. And then instead of telling my family and all the people that were with me that I, we need to trust you in the famine, what did I do? I overreacted and I took people down to Egypt. Lord, would you please forgive me? So Abraham goes back to the place of worship. He calls out to the Lord in his sin and in his failure, trusting that the Lord is going to help him through it. Uh, side note, Many people you know, maybe it could be you, have a fake faith. You know anybody with a fake faith? 
it's, it's, not, it's, it's all talk. It's not, it's not real faith. But fake faith has no spiritual resources to deal with such failures. When you come before God, if you have a fake faith, you're just, there's nothing there. You're, you're on your own. There's no Holy Spirit power. But see, Abram, by coming back to the promised land, by coming back to the mountain, by coming back to the place where he started at the beginning, by coming back to the altar of sacrifice and calling upon the name of the Lord, he is seeking to recover his relationship with God. And I think the fact that, remember, he moved into the Canaanite territory, land of the pagans, by the, the, just the sheer fact that they did not destroy the altar. You would think as soon as he left town, that thing was coming down. I think the sheer fact that, that it's still there reminds me of the empty cross of Christ. As long as the empty cross of Christ is still there, it's a sign in our hearts that we can always come back to the Lord. 1 John 1.9 is a verse that we cite very often, and it, it is so very popular. And if you don't have it memorized, maybe that will be your homework for this week. You need to know it, and you need to live by it. And it goes like this. John writes, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, some verses say purify us, from all unrighteousness. Do, do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that? I'm not, saying, I'm not asking, you know, like, oh, yes, Pastor Jim, of course we believe that. We're, we're, we're Christians. You know, we have, I have a Bible on my lap. Of course I believe that. Now I'm asking, do you really believe that? Have you, have you experienced that? Sadly, I would have to say that many people who say they're Christians don't do this. God may stop their sin. Sometimes people are sinning and God just stops it. He intervenes in some way and puts an end to it. And the people might even admit it, that they have done it, but they don't confess it to God. They don't come to the place where Abraham is now. They don't come to that place and confess it to God. And, and they may even reveal it to others. But as they do, they can't put a period on the end of what they did. They have to attach excuses. They have to attach rationalizations. They have to attach cover-ups to it. And what does that tell you? That tells you that they never really ever repented. They never really ever came to God for that cleansing. And their lives are often characterized by, by nervousness and, 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 and a lack of joy they don't come to the foot of the cross with a broken heart and they're just absolutely in awe of the mercy of God. As painful as this incident was for Abraham, he had to taste the result of his sin and then he came back to God's open arms and he found the Lord was ready to receive him and to forgive him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come to that place. And I guarantee you, the arms that were spread out on the cross are now spread out to you, ready to receive you, ready to welcome you back, ready to forgive you, 
ready to love you. Well, it's not long after that kind of stuff that another test comes. Did you know that? Look at verse 5. Lot also. Now, Lot, Lot's going to be a problem. That's his nephew. He's going to be a problem. Just imagine the Lord said, thanks a lot for Lot, Lord. <laughs> right? well, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So, you know, they, they got too much stuff. And there was strife. Some of your versions say there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So they're arguing. We'll talk about that in a second. And then there's this interesting side note. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So both Abram and Lot's businesses are doing very, very well. But apparently there's not enough grazing land and there's not enough water for both sets of flocks. And so the result is there's, there's strife that's going on. There's quarreling that's going on. And, and many of you have, have seen this. In, you ever seen this in your workplace where there's just constant strife? There's constant quarreling going on. Uh, some people, and this could be probably more of a lot thing than an Abraham thing, some people become so incredibly discontented that they become obsessed they're not even able to work anymore because they just want to just complain about everything. And, and all, most of the other people around them see it. And they're like, who's going to tell them it's time to move on? Who's going to tell them maybe they should think about a, another job? They're, they've become toxic. They're destroying the, the work environment. You see... We do often become discontented, but it's not okay to stay in the place of discontentment. And instead of meeting, what happens? These guys get together and they start strife. They begin to, presumably, as they are the original, original if you will, I mean, there was in the past, but this is the, real, the restart of the people of God. This is the restart of the people of God. And what are they doing? There's... There's strife and there is quarreling. There is what we call discord among the brethren. Do you know that Proverbs 6 says that this is one of the things that the Lord absolutely hates. People who go around sowing discord among the brethren. People who go around sowing seeds of doubt or, or telling stories or, or making, putting, pitting one person against another. The Lord does not like such things. He actually is disgusted by it. It says that he hates it, that he's disgusted by it, that it is to him, we say disgusted, what the word is, it's an abomination to him. I wonder how Lot's thinking was going around this point in time, thinking to himself, well, you know, Egypt, everything that happened there, that was, not, that was Uncle Abe's sin. That wasn't on me. I'm, I'm the better man. But, you know, when we start to think that way, that will completely blind us to our sin, and, and the decline and fall that results from thinking that way will be catastrophic. I remember about 18 years ago, I don't think I've ever spoken about this in public, maybe once or twice. 
About 18 years ago, when I was on staff at another church, I went out to lunch with my pastor. And he knew that it was really in my heart from the beginning when I went on staff there that I wanted to go out and see if the Lord would allow me to start a Bible study that hopefully would, would turn into a church and didn't want to bring a group of people with me, just wanted to see what would happen and what, what God would do the same way that he went out uh, to do that. And, you know, I just I said, well, what are some things that you would give me some advice along the way? And I don't forget the first thing he said to me. He said, I, I've seen this over the years. I've seen so many people leave to go out and start a church or leave our church bitter and angry and fail miserably. I thought that was such an odd thing for him to tell me. And then he had this look on his face and he said, and the saddest thing is how many of them actually recruited people to follow them and how virtually none of them or hardly any of them are even walking with the Lord anymore. And so that discord, that, that's why the Lord hates it, because it, it really, it sours us. It, it, it is not a good thing. See, for a follower of Jesus, if we are lacking integrity, if we are being selfish, if we forget about the mission, if we forget our calling, we then become a hindrance to the mission. You know, you, if that's even going on in your spiritual life, you can become a hindrance at your job, to your work. You say, at your work, yes. Notice the, the little throw-in that we get at the end of the verse here. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Christian friend, in the workplace, which is probably the biggest evangelistic field that most of us have, you know what? The unbelieving people are watching the people of God. They're watching. They're watching our work. They're watching our attitudes. They're watching if we're constantly sowing discord. Oh, the company's not taking care of us. Okay, if it's not taking care of you, it's time to go. If you, if you think that's what it is, fortunately, we live in America, you can do that. Well, it's not that easy. Then we need to button our lips. We need to exercise self-control. As we'll see, Abraham and Lot did not share the same vision of God Abraham was, was really changing, and Lot, we're going to see, is a guy who was about doing his own thing. And see, seeing with the eyes of faith, this time, instead of going back to Egypt, Abraham clearly sees that a separation is needed. And not, I don't think, out of bitterness. I think he sees this is going to be better for everybody. It's better if we do something about this situation. Verse 8 says, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. What does he say? Let's fix this thing. Let's settle this peacefully. Let's come to an agreement that benefits all the parties involved. Let's figure out a plan. Now, some of you have been in those situations. It's easy if both parties go, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it. It's not so good if one person doesn't want to do it, is it? Very, very tough. But Lot will be willing to do it. Verse 9, Is not the whole of the land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, Abraham is the uh, patriarch of the family. He is the leader. He could have offered Lot nothing. But what does he do? 
he makes a costly offer to help Lot. Why? Because Abraham's eyes are now fixed on what he can't physically see. See, he physically sees the land. He, he would be able to tell you which would be better for raising flocks and stuff like that. But he's looking to what he can't be seen. He's looking to the eternal. He's looking long-term, not short-term. You see, it seems that Egypt really changed Abram. He's in a good place now. He's seeing the future with the eyes of faith. This is pilgrim thinking. This is the way pilgrims think. Abraham is excited about the possibilities of the sovereign God. But he's not just excited about the possibilities for him. He's excited about the possibilities for Lot. I could picture him saying, Lot, you know what? I I love you and we're relatives and we're family and I realize this is hard. But, you know, it's quite possible that the best could actually be out ahead of us. We don't need to argue about this. We need to believe that God has incredible things for for each one of us. Settlers, on the other hand, they don't have that attitude. They'll fight God and his changes until God pulls the idols out of their hands. So Abraham made the hard but wise and practical choice, the one that was best for the people. Now, I'm sure it made some people angry, If you're a leader of any sort, if you're a boss, you're going to have to make some decisions that are going to make people angry. Did you know that? That's just the way it's going to go. And so I'm sure there were some people like, I can't believe it. Lot and his family. He's family. What are you doing? What's going on? But he made the hard choice. And as we'll see, Lot's choice seemed right to him. And it turns out to be a disaster. Because Lot has to learn some very, very tough lessons. Some of us are that way. I was that way more when I was younger than I am when I'm older. Maybe I'm just tired. God has just beaten me silly on these kinds of things. But some of us have to go through a slew of bad choices before we realize God's right and we're not. <laughs> and, and so, you know, sometimes I'm reading the Bible, I'm thinking about something, and I'm like, yeah, God, guess not. I'm not going to fight you on this one because we're not going to win. Verse 10, I want to read verse 10 twice. And and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord's, parentheses, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. So it says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. See, but Lot is not looking with spiritual eyes. He's looking at what can only be seen what he wants to get out of this life. And he saw all the plain of the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. Then the parentheses, that was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Is that the garden of Eden? I mean, is he thinking, my goodness, this place is like the place where Adam and Eve lived? What happened to them in that place? And it's now closed to mankind, but Lot thinks, well, I could kind of inch my way over that way. I could kind of get in. See, Lot wanted the benefits of the garden without the obedience of the garden. It says, like the land of Egypt, 
as you go towards Zoar. So it was like the land of Egypt. It was like the land of compromise. Remember we said Egypt is the land of sin and compromise, a type of sin in the Bible. And, and Lot probably loved it there. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan. He's like, yeah, that place is looking good. And, journey, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. What did he do? He stayed. He stayed. He knew that was the place that God had him. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom, listen to this, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So with eyes of flesh, Lot made a rash and foolish choice. He chose what looked good to his eyes, but was not good for him. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.